would you share all of the business decisions that you make every single day and the outcome and the impact it has on the world with your kids? Would they be proud of the actions that you make? From Deergo Collective, this is Responsibly Different. Sharing stories of certified B corporations and our journey of joining them in leveraging business as a force for good. Brad Black and Susan Griffin Black co-own and run one of the last largest independently owned organic beauty companies, EO Products. EO Products creates natural body care products based on essential oils and is a company rooted in strong values around people and planet. In my conversation with Susan and Brad, they shared how EO Products came to be, as well as their line of products under everyone for every body and how their spiritual practices have informed their work. They have a deep love and passion for their team, the work, and the details in their ingredients. Without much further ado, let's jump on in. Let's start by talking about the two of you. I'd be curious to hear a little bit about yourselves, how you met, and kind of how EO products and everyone came to be. Yeah, um, I think I could just start with in the... In 1991, I, um, I had the honor of working with uh, the late Doug Tompkins at Esprit, and he was really looking at the model of how we make things. And in that, you know, met a lot of uh, environmentalists and, you know, and designers and industrial designers and really started to realize it opened the portal about just interconnectivity and also the idea that cotton was responsible and the farming and processing of cotton was responsible for so much greenhouse gas and toxicity to the people that were farming and processing. And so we were looking for alternatives. And then so through that, that was a really opening process. And simultaneously, Brad and I had met and started to become friends. and. I went, ended up going to um, London for a business trip. And as I was like running between, you know, Paul Smith and Muji and Covent Garden, I happened into this incredible little courtyard called Neil's Yard. And Neil's Yard had a dairy, Neil's Yard Dairy, and Neil's Yard Apothecary was at, you know, 12 o'clock. I walked in the most amazing, beautiful, smell ever. And it was a combination of all of the essential oils and the herbs. And they were, you know, making medicine in the back. You would go upstairs to a homeopath or aromatherapist, and then you would come downstairs and get your prescriptions filled. So I picked up this bottle of lavender, Angustifolia from France. And it's like the light went on and I knew what I wanted to do next, you know? And so I I came back and ended up meeting the owner. We ended up getting the um, distribution license for the U.S. And through that, we both learned a lot about essential oils, aromatherapy, herbal medicine, took a crash course at um, UCLA in cosmetic chemistry. And Brad, Brad had a a clothing company at the time, and he was down the hall 
from where we were. And I, I got a private label order from Birkenstock and we were going to fill it by hand. And so, and Brad came down and he's like, oh no, you're never going to be able to fill 10,000 of these bottles and salts and all that. And he said, gravity feed, we got to kind of jury rig this so you can. And anyway, it's like, he, he won me, at, he had me at gravity feed, you know, he started helping. He ended up dissolving his business. We realized, you know, that we have very complementary skills and, and also we started dating and then um, EO was born out of a private label project for Bloomingdale's in 95. We also got married in 95. We had our daughter Lucy in um, 96 and here we are just a few short years later. That's amazing. That's awesome. And, and it sounds like you all started with the kind of mission of building a company that you wanted to to work for that was also in alignment with with your values, right? Of, of kind of supporting the planet and also your workers. I'm curious, where do you all feel like you are on that journey now? We're still on the same journey. Uh, you know, we, we want to work for the company that we work for. And we want uh, to really support our values, which are for the people, for the planet, certainly for profits, for purpose. And as we grow, uh, really, you know, another way to say it is life changes. Sales can go up. Last year has been tough for us. COVID, sales have gone down. Yet the mission and how we engage in it, in a sense, stays the same in terms of the core values. And, um, and much of what we do is how do we integrate in these ideas, strategy, priorities, initiatives, and how do you implement them in a way that feels right, that are aligned with our values and purpose. And so life constantly changes and much about how we work together, how much the company works together as a community here. Uh, is around change. You want to support your actions in the in the values and you know the purpose. Yeah. So embracing change, you know, is such a part of life, right? And it's a practice. And so you know, it's been our practice with uh, taking all the sort of resistance and headwinds about change, and really trying to, I wouldn't say normalize it, but really be in the flow with what's happening now, not what should be happening, not what we want to be happening, but what is happening actually, right? And so in a business, especially as we've grown over the years, it's um, it's tricky in terms of maintaining culture, maintaining people's expectation of how it used to be and how it is now. You know, for the long time, we have many people that we've been working with for, you know, 10 years, 15 years, and so, you know, if we've made it this far, we certainly want to, you know, keep going. So it just, uh, it's an interesting, you know, we're definitely a learning culture and um, processing culture as as much as a community. I'm curious kind of hearing about the the importance for change. I feel like that's so true for so many businesses. For folks that might be listening, what advice might you have for them in terms of that? kind of leaning into discomfort of, of change and how kind of scary it can be? You know, it's, it's a great question. And uh, certainly something that we're all uh, confronted with on a minute, certainly every hour. And, you know, I think allowing the space 
for to know that change is inevitable and that it comes and that you want to kind of work through for myself. I want to work through the discomfort, the fear of not being uh, experienced, the fear of failure in that change. And so it's a kind of loosen up, take a deep breath. That's a feeling and emotional part. And then another part of what about how you can confront the change is in an intellectual. So it would be transactional. Then it becomes about creating initiatives. But change really confronts us with two things, the fear and the emotional response. And then like, okay, let's get let's get to work. Right. Like the actual how do we solve the problem at hand? That's super real. But, you know, identifying the problem, I think, is a big part of the process is like, are we asking the right question and are we addressing the right problem? And so, you know, that's been also you know, cultivated through experience and dialogue and community. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious, what is the difference between EO products and everyone for everybody or everybody, I should say? We started uh, the EO brand with Bloomingdale's as a private label gig with four little SKUs in the holiday catalog in 95. And then we really found our home in the natural products industry, Whole Foods. And EO was really, um, has always been a collection of products that are very personal. You know, you choose your scent, you choose the sort of performance and, and aromatherapy sort of calling. And then um, our products always have just performed extremely well. We're, we're makers. So as EO is a personal sort of self-care, reflective collection of products in, and you know, that was growing very organically in the natural products business over the years, everyone sort of came out of the gate as a much more younger family-oriented, value-oriented. And it really was like essential oils for everyone. How do we bring the beauty, efficacy, and that experience to people who may not be able to afford EO? And how do we make a better product for families, for kids, for, for everyone, really? And put it in places that serve everyone. You know, we took a lot of our great thinking and successes and our failures from in EO, it's like having a second kid. You know, there's just a lot more ease in the mix. And, um, and so we took a lot of our great thinking and made it more accessible. And at the time we launched EO, value was something really important. And so could you sell a product less expensively than EO, but had twice or three times the amount of volume? So it was really an elevation. And it's, a, it's really, it was a different market as well that we were selling to and um, available to a lot larger group. So we'd really sell much of everyone in the mass channels, whereas EO is a little bit more focused. In, in natural and a little bit of a different customer. EO has a little bit older, more educated, sophisticated shops at Ear One, Whole Foods, Amazon, you know. That makes sense. I, I have to say, personally, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of just the brand, everyone, and just kind of the message that it sends. Because I feel like so often, you know, our our hygiene products end up being so gendered, right? Uh, and so the fact that it is like gender neutral and literally for everybody is, is huge. I think it's amazing. It's great. Yeah. But, you know, so the idea there of inclusivity 
Um, and then when we looked at, you know, what's on the shelves at Walmart, especially, and, you know, there's a Walmart store for 90% of Americans within 10 miles of every Amer 90% of Americans. So then when you think about other issues like social justice, underserved communities, the challenge became how do we make a beautiful product for everyone, really for everyone, you know, in terms of distribution and ingredients and a better for you product. So, you know, that's, it's very uh, woven into our, our mission of inclusivity. And the message, like you said, uh, Ben, is like everyone for everybody, everyone for everyone. It's such just so much a part of our purpose that the uh, the naming of that product really was such a fabulous win for us. And so I, it, it kind of I, it begs the question, how how is EO doing essential oils differently? That's kind of the root of where, where you all came from. Uh, what, what makes EO essential oils so different? Um, I think it's a, a couple of things. One is, you know, we have a certain taste level that we've cultivated through in other industries, you know, and both of us actually came from the fashion industry. So we had a, a sense of what we liked, what was comfortable, what was great, what, what's great about this, you know, and just in, being in that dialogue translated very well to, you know, do you like the way this smells or do you like the way this smells? Is this from... A farm in, you know, are we getting our lavender from France? Are we getting our lavender from Bulgaria? Are we getting it from, you know, adulterated from somewhere else? So that learning and discerning piece of, you know, it's like Alice Waters making a uh, a Caesar salad, you know, or, or a vinaigrette where, you know, there's five ingredients and the five ingredients that she picks are very different from the five ingredients the quality of each one, even though they could be the same five, you know, than Sizzler making a vinaigrette, right? So it's very much, very analogous to what we do. It's like every ingredient really counts. Every ingredient supports the synergy of the essential oil blend because it's better um, for us. And it, um, and it also aids the performance, the beauty, the experience. So then what we learned from plant-based, from essential oils and the supporting ingredients when we did everyone is that we could call, call out and call down the ones that were less expensive and still beautiful. It's just, you know, rose is $1,100 a kilo and, you know, lavender is $75 a kilo. So when you start mixing, I mean, these are the real, these are the real, um, sort of issues and reality that comes into the comes into the mix. Going a little further with the aromatherapy piece, can you kind of expand on uh, the role aromatherapy has and, and why it's something that feels so important? You know, we're deeply connected to nature by nature. We are nature. And when you smell and feel what an essential oil smells like in your body, smelling a rose or smelling jasmine or walking by, you know, that jasmine, night jasmine uh, plant where all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, what smells so good? You know, it's, it's kind of a riveting, stops you in your tracks, hence, you know, stop and smell the roses. So the thing is, uh, the other uh, analogy and example we use a lot is 
So, you know, they make incredible fake flowers these days, right? So you could be 10 feet away from two flowers next to each other, one a silk rose and the other a real rose. And it may look the same from here, but as you move closer, the smell, the texture, the connection, you know, is, is really important. Like we could, you could like a synthetic fragrance and that could be very pleasing, but it's very, um, very superficial in terms of what it does in that pleasure realm. Oh, that's nice. That smells good. And then, but it, is it really doing anything other than, oh, that smells good. Whereas essential oils like food, like water, like, you know, they're plants and they're alive and essential oils are very concentrated. So they, they really meet us with our own biology and physiology. So, you know, we could call it vibration, we could call it, but it, it, it is um, a very high frequency because it's like us. Can you speak a bit about how you source safe, natural, organic, and sustainably farmed ingredients? There's kind of two aspects to that. One is from a chemistry standpoint, having a staff knowledgeable who knows how to analyze the, the very specific, the chemical chains in many of the ingredients, certainly in the essential oils, some proper, some growth methods, the growing methods are acceptable and some aren't. Synthetic fertilizers aren't something that's acceptable to us, but certainly is prevalent in the industry. Relationship is another big part. Susan mentioned before about one of the differentiations that we have as EO is our attention to how something smells. Again, lots of different types of lavenders out there. Synthetic is one of them. And, and yet we have a very distinct lavender smell. And we've had that for 25 years. And so it's very intentional around how that smell is. And then the attributes, it, chemically, agricultural practices, organic is one of them. Non-GMO is another. Is certainly from an analytical transactional part, you can, you can actually see. And then the other is, is going to the farm. And wow, what a wonderful experience to go to Morocco or to go to Australia or to go to Western China or in the United States. There are many wonderful small growers of essential oil that we have relationships with. And we certainly try to support them as a small business in relationship. We both want to thrive. And then from an attribute side, we think, you know, a lot of the small growers provide a really excellent and better product in many cases. Can you speak a little bit about kind of sustainable manufacturing and how that plays into the mix of everything? Yeah, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, Ben, is the word sustainable, which I really struggle with. You know, responsibly different is a fabulous name. And I love, I, I like <laughs> responsible business, responsible business practices versus sustainable because nothing, you know, we talked about change. And um, for us, you know, growth 20 years ago, we would never think about manufacturing uh, with, con with other third-party companies. And now we're really looking to expand our capacities by manufacturing responsibly. It, and much of, much of this is about relationship. You know, we talk about ingredients. It's about Susan's relationship that she has with scent, with a specific lavender with people. And uh, we have a relationship with every formula that's made. 
with every chemist that's on staff here that makes the formula, with everyone on in our QA and QC team that looks at every ingredient, not only from a smell side, but from a chemical side, and then how are products made? And it's all under this, um, you know, it, and it's, again, it's that process of how you mix it. And then what is that end product like? Smell is very important. Feel is very important. We could make an organic lotion certified 100%, yet it might be sticky. Do you want to stick lotion? Probably not. And so it's the fact that we do it is so informative. And given that we're under this umbrella of people, profit, planet, it's how we make the decisions, relationship that we have. We dated, we were married, we've been divorced for 12 years. We, yet it's, it's um, can you integrate this in all the decisions or many of the decisions that you make in your life, the relationship? Yeah. You know, it's not like we have a lavender grower who we love the product, but we don't like the people. You know, there's no... The, the opportunity for dissonance is always there, you know, and we're, we're very much about integration so that it just, the why is constantly being asked, changed, and, you know, just sort of updated. You kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier that there are, you know, obviously competitors out there that maybe aren't level, aren't manufacturing at the same perhaps level of integrity or, or quality or whatnot, what kind of changes do you think need to be made across the beauty industry? We've been involved with um, Whole Foods organic standards and ingredient deck from, you know, for years and years. And we're part of the original uh, formation of those ideas because we really wanted to follow food. And we thought that Whole Foods was so right in linking organic with organic agriculture. And it wasn't an easy fit for personal care and certainly not color cosmetics because they don't use a lot of agricultural products. But we do, you know, because we use essential oils. So so I think that the health and safety and especially health and safety for women because they use so many products and so many chemicals by 10 a.m., and that it's incumbent upon manufacturers to really not only think about each individual ingredient, but the rise of multiple ingredients that we don't really know how they affect each other and don't really know how they uh, meet with pollution, environmental stressors, all of it. So our idea from a practical point of view is let's use the safest most gentle, effective ingredients. And so not everybody considers that, that, you know, some of the much bigger, you know, multinational companies is very difficult to interrupt that supply chain when you're 11 billion in 40 countries for one product or something. So we saw that as a challenge because if we could stay, if we were makers and we could stay agile, then we could keep evolving in the in the sort of realm of green chemistry. It absolutely has to be safe. You know, you could tweak the question a little bit and you could say what changes need to be made within industry? Take beauty out of it. What, what changes need to be made within business, within government, 
you know, and, and I think that that's, that's, it's, it, the answer's, the answer's the same. You know, we were making products for ourselves, for our kids, for, for our friends, you know, this is, this is what small businesses do. You know, it's very, it's very local. However, we've really kept that as we've grown. And so there's so much change that needs to be made in business. Why is, why is it a profit above everything else? Would you share all of the business decisions that you make every single day and the outcome and the impact it has on the world with your kids? Would they be proud of the actions that you make? And then the answer comes back and says, well, you know, I mean, I have to make these decisions because, well, you know, it's up to me to put food on the table. Yet there can be many choices around how you choose to engage in your actions. And so you know, it's, it's a challenge to everyone, all the listeners and to us as well. We embrace that our, our actions do have an impact and how responsible are you in terms of holding that impact or like the energy of the impact or the idea of the impact within, within you. And then does that change around how we make decisions? And so it matters to us that we use bottles that are made from recycled content. Can we do better than that? Of course, we can do better in everything that we do. You know, it's not using synthetic fragrances versus essential oils. And the other side is, well, they're more expensive. They're harder to, they're harder to work with. We don't color the products. You know, we try to pay people a living wage and give them benefits. And, and so, you know, we always say it's like the golden rule. Can you treat people the way you want to be treated? Can you create a company that you want to work for? And everyone in the business participates that way. And as, the, as part of the leadership group here, we try to support that thinking throughout because we're really less a business than we are a collective of people. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's so well said. And, and I think uh, it's a, a perfect segue into B Corp land. You all, you know, speaking of using business as a, as a force for good, you all were early adopters of B Corp back in 2011 and B Corp movement, I think started around 2007. How, how did you hear about certification and, and what got you involved? So we were pretty resistant at first because their poster child was a friendly competitor of ours, much bigger company method. And though we loved the packaging piece of what they were trying to do, we always disagreed with their ingredients and and artificial coloring. So I, I was like, well, I don't know if I can, you know, and they weren't really part of the natural products industry yet, B Corp. So I would say we were a B Corp before B Corps. And then in meeting that community, even though we were a little slow going because we weren't sure if it was our community, what we realized that just having a community that was measuring, that was auditing, that was looking, was a great, a great step in being part of a community that's looking at these things and people to talk to about these things. And so once we jumped in, you know, we really jumped in and really work on improving our score and seeing what we can do better. And we, you know, participate and talk to, to the B Corp community on a fairly regular, regular basis. You know, it was a little bit of a sidestep for us with B Corp because, as Susan said, we were already involved in it. And the sidestep is, is can we be certified? Can we be acknowledged by an organization 
that's that's we we believe in many of the same things. People, profit, planet. Yet we define them a little bit differently. And you know, our resistance to getting in there is that the one of the poster trials was just you know they just embraced their definition of what is responsible business differently than ours. And I think every business would say that they're responsible or sustainable. Hey, look, we're sustainable. We, we, you know, like I recycle an envelope every single month. I mean, that's extreme. I think most companies and people engage more than that. Yet there's a, there's a degree. We happen to be on a far side of accountability that we put in, in the result of our actions. It's just not about an action. It's how does that. Well, yeah. Plant the seeds for the future. What sort of the, you know, sort of karmic, if you will, implication. And then also, um, you know, what is what is this measuring actually doing for all of us? You know, it's not a place to shame or separate or, you know, other companies. And so it's it's really the inclusivity piece of it is very is still very important. So it's that balance of you know, this choice and responsibility in the, in the ability to respond, you know, and then, and choices and decisions are really at the essence of that because uh, we become what we think. And, you know, the future is very dependent on the actions that we take today. That makes sense. And I, and I've heard other folks mention too, that uh, I, I think sometimes it can get a little tricky where, B Corp, I think, should never be the end of the road, right? Because it's really more just the beginning for a lot of folks and that people can take that journey as far as, as they want. Yeah, it's, really, it's a really good point, you know, and I think one of the biggest benefits, other than, you know, being in a group of like-minded people, certainly we, we, we engage differently, yet it, it does help to have um, beacon to go for, to work towards. And, you know, the B Corp is a variety of businesses that they do some great work in terms of promoting the triple bottom line. And that's a fabulous benefit. And then, you know, a few times a year, we look at their certification process and we say, okay, we're going to be a little bit more transactional and tweak here to get a higher B Corp score. And, um, and I think that there's some benefit in that. We don't agree with everything and we're, you know, we're different, certainly. Yet overall, it's really such a wonderful organization and all companies should integrate, maybe not at the fullest level, but certainly a large part of what they have to offer. That makes sense. I'm curious, do you have um, maybe ideas or, or thoughts around how uh, the, the B Corp movement or the, even just the B impact assessment could be stronger or, or could uh, kind of elevate everybody? Mm. You know, there's such a difference between being a manufacturer in the evaluation and questions uh, or being as compared to like being a service business, because, you know, manufacturing is, as we said, you know, it's a much more resource intensive process than being a legal firm. Yet the same, we're, we're, we're all asked the same set of questions. Similar. Yeah. And then, you know, demographics, we're in one of the most expensive places in the world. We manufacture in Marin County, just North of San Francisco. And, you know, pay is like a whole different thing here than, you know, if you were in more of a rural 
place. But, you know, from a from a B Corp side of things, what's nice about the process is that it it's it's information and then you create action plans around that. And I think a lot of folks non-certified probably could be certified. They may have to do, you know, these other 10 things to be certified because, well, you just never thought about it. And you would probably do it in a way that would score fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the guidelines are nice. And the certification process is, is it's, it's a menace, yet, yet a lot of good things are a menace. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's rigorous. And you got to like stand up and we all have, as a team, have to dig in. But, you know, it's, it's all part of it. And it's a great, it's a great community. And, um, and, and so not only in, in our industry or as a manufacturer or in natural foods, you know, B Corp people are special people. I mean, we're like-minded in some ways and, um, and that's a benefit. Yeah. What advice would you give for if there's a business listening that's maybe thinking about certifying or is just like maybe just sticking their toe in the water? Uh, what advice do you have for them about kind of starting on their B Corp journey? Come on, get on board. You know, I mean, you just have to start. And then, you know, if you don't make it the first year, you learn why you can't or where the problem areas are. And you can get so much help and support from the community, from B Lab, from B Corp, from just all of our, you know, fellow colleagues. And so it really is being part of something that is, it's not perfect, but it is like-minded, supportive, and collaborative. You know, they try to identify very specific tasks and or results, you know, pay scale or how much do you recycle and blah, 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 blah. It's necessary to certify. It needs to be something very specific, actionable, and then there is a measurable result. And that's pretty great. And you get the list and you just start working your way down. What it doesn't have is that touchy-feely thing. What it doesn't have is the intention. Like like when we started this, there was never a B Corp. There weren't these certifications. We became one before it started because it's how we wanted to engage. And that's kind of a little bit of a warning. Use it as a transactional checklist to become certified as a B Corp. It's fabulous. And also, we need to be impassioned as who we are individually, as well as as a company, to move forward with those things that are not yet on the list of B Corp or some things that may never make it on there. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Do you like that? I do. No, because, you know, you don't want people to feel discouraged about that list. You know, it's kind of daunting. And it's like, I, I, you know, I'm worried about cash flow. How can I worry about this too? But it does give you a roadmap. So if you start down the path, then you can see sort of where where you're going, if that's what you want. Again, you know, it's got to match up to the why. And and then I think it just eases the whole thing, knowing that you're walking in that direction. And if it takes a year or two, that's fine. You know, I'll give you a little cheat sheet, a little insider info here. Um, We love being a B Corp. Are you concerned what I'm going to say? No. And um, <laughs> no, no. And um, I was curious. Where, where we we love being a B Corp, and we tend to score on the low side. And uh, we could work our way up. We could be in the middle, and we could be on the top in the B in the in the in the rating system. 
Yet, I want to make sure that we don't get crazy about just engaging for a higher score and make more room for the things that don't have a score but have high meaning for us. And, and so we always want to be certified and we go down that path, yet not too much, not too crazy, because there's, there's enough of that that then is we're early, we're, we're, we're early adopters. We, you know, we're early in a lot of these things. And so if we're too much in the present in terms of how to get certified now, it doesn't give us a room to, to grow and be innovative and to engage in the world as we see fit, yet part of that might be unrecognized or embraced. Yeah, I think that that's also when you're a manufacturer and you have to contend with, you know, being a zero waste manufacturer, paying people fairly, benefits, ratios, top to bottom, you know, um, it's very different, as we know, than some other businesses. And so striving for our score is less important than um, doing the next right thing as long as we are, of course, maintaining our status. So there could be a supplier who you really like, who's non-certified organic, or maybe they use some um, uh, fertilizers that you don't want. Yet you go with them anyway, and you say, you know what, I'm going to start throwing some dollars your way. I'm going to buy your product because I like the product. I like you as an organization. I like how you treat the people. And as an ad is, is we want you to slowly but surely take that fertilizer out or integrate in these different practices that then make you more B Corp like, or in our case, more EO like. And so that's a step back from a scoring standpoint, yet it's really forward in a relationship standpoint in a variety of ways, but it's just, you know, it's that concept of don't get too laser focused. It's all about rightful action, right? That makes sense. So not, eliminating like a potential partner or something like that because it's not doesn't fit this strict box but instead we're going to expand the box a little bit and support you in finding your way towards that bar i guess does that sound right yeah because because really it's like about relationship and there's room well yeah i mean we've we've worked with like i remember having to choose between this you know beautiful tea that's been grown in China in the high plains uh, for 2,500 years. But of course they had no organic certification because it's all wildcrafted and cultivated there, you know, it was beautiful. And then there was another tea like, you know, from India that was organically certified, but not nearly the, you know, flavor, color, quality, you know, which one do you pick? So so these are the questions, you know, the everyday questions that we have to answer. And, you know, it's like, well, is it quality? Or are we trying to make the most beautiful, best product that we can? Or, and, you know, so it's like, it just comes up in, in so many ways. Uh, I'm curious too, speaking of that kind of holistic picture, I know, um, Susan, you've been very open about your, your Buddhist beliefs. I'm curious how they work themselves into EO. Yeah. So I've been a Buddhist student for 30 years. And by Buddhist student, I mean, you know, practiced, retreats, teacher, devoted. I, you know, I, it, it's like you can't take the Buddha out of me now, you know, because it's like steeped. <laughs> so the, the, the essence of the three poisons of Buddhism are greed, 
hate, and delusion, right? So when you just think about that, if you're trying to operate a business in the absence of or the reduction of those three things, it sets you on a very different path because you're up against the greed piece, which is institutionalized in our country to to the cost of kids being hungry and all sorts of problems, you know, that have always been there. So, but we really want to diminish suffering, right? And so when you have those tenants that you practice with, and Brad similarly has, uh, is very devoted spiritual practitioner. And so it's like, we really come together on what is the essence? What is the most important thing? What is the why? And what values uh, are we ascribing to by doing this or by doing that? So it's very helpful. I'm curious, what's your secret to, uh, you've admitted you've been divorced for 12 years. I'm I'm curious your secret to achieving such a kind of unlikely partnership with with one another. Love. (laughs) Love and and real, like um, deep caring and wanting the best for each other and being part of the same family, you know, that hasn't, that hasn't changed. You know, it's um, relationship again and our, you know, this, the, the, the divorce is just like such nasty connotations to it. And I, I like this to say really that our relationship evolved and um, I would argue against anyone that the divorce wasn't a positive issue in our lives, a positive event in our lives. And um, we care and love each other very deeply. And we, we evolved in our relationship. We're still very connected and we've evolved spiritually and, and, and in so many different ways, the marriage thing and the divorce thing it's just kind of this like societal religious demand of a context that they want you to participate in, you know, and, and you could look at that across the board of m- many of the things that we talked about, like synthetic fragrance, you know, are they really teaching pe- kids in college how to work with essential oils or do a lot, does a lot of the attention go to how to build out a chemical chain with synthetics? Mm-hmm. Probably more of more of that. Because it's less expensive. Generally, I, you know, so I would say it's pretty much greed, hate, and, you know, there's the, the ignorance piece. There's the uh, cultural unwillingness to acknowledge interdependence as an ultimate reality. So, you know, so there still is, as far as we've come, this idea that whoever has the most when they die wins, you know, so, and not regarding what it is that we're accumulating for. And when you look at all of the problems that, that this is created, you know, we're, we're in the thick of it now, for sure. You know, the spiritual practice, but you could also say the attention to our own individual accountability that really comes out in spiritual practice enabled us to sort of evolve things. You know, in divorce, it's such a nasty thing and you want to lay blame or you don't want to take responsibility for the SHI, huh? 
that you engaged in. And so the spiritual practice is really this practice of diving deep within oneself and in a business setting. And that's, you know, and so it helped us in the business setting, but it also enabled us to evolve in the relationship to take ownership for our strengths and for our areas of opportunity of growth. And challenges. (laughs) And challenges. (laughs) I love that. Um, I'm curious, what advice would you give to anyone listening who is interested in creating a business with the goal of being a force for good? Come on. It goes back to the why. You know, I had this conversation today about someone's career path and they're like, well, if I do this, then they'll see me as a marketer, but I really want to be a, you know, brand manager with an umbrella of responsibility. And so, you know, they're sort of finagling for their perfect resume. And, and I'm like, why, why, why are you even thinking about that? Really? Are you going to limit yourself? You know, you've got to work it sort of the other way from the inside out. So I think that people have to know themselves and know why and and then proceed. And you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, because I want to do it for money. If you say, I want to do it for money, or, and I've heard a lot of people say, this is a three year gig, I'm in three years and I'm out, you know, it's, it's a very different point of view and it leads you in a very different direction. And I, I, it's, we don't have a judgment about that, but it, it, that's not really what we're doing here. In the question about, being a force for good. If I just add in one word there, it totally changes how you probably receive it. And it's being a force for the common good. Mm. How we each individually define good, it could just be rooted in money or it could be um, a variety of different ways of what benefits me. Good for, good for Brad. However, if you just shift it slightly and it's less about me and it's more of an external thing that I aspire to for the common good, it's difficult in the business space because business is really defined for individual good, individual power, individual greed, individual, you name that. Yet for the, a force for the common good is really, I think, where the B Corp is and really the umbrella that we try to operate from. Yeah, I mean, we have the privilege of being in a position to work for the common good, you know, which which hasn't really been associated with business. And so the integration that we're all talking about is what is the highest good? And when you start to think that way, your independence, autonomy, and your selfish good isn't necessarily the highest good. And when those things align, then there's magic. Yeah, you know, we want to participate in community in a positive way. We want to add, we want to contribute in a positive way. And I think the workspace is where we have can have the largest level of impact. And so um, as we get older, we you kind of look at things a little bit differently. And how do you want, what's, what's your legacy? How do you want to be remembered? And in a way to sort of figure out how you want to work, where you want to work, what you want to do, is you kind of got to look backwards. Is how do you want to see yourself have worked, have participated? And then that's part of the roadmap to sort of help yourself move forward versus 
I'm just doing a three-year gig and I'm cranking out. And again, there's a space for that. Yet I don't think that many of them perhaps have, and maybe this isn't the right thing and you can scratch us out of the, you know, the recording thing, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, you know, it's it, it, like, we make a lot of mistakes yet. The mistakes are really opportunities that then you can embrace and you can, and you can move forward with. So uh, <laughs> I, I think the, the, the only elephant in the room in this whole conversation is about how we're financed and the difference of being self-financed with angel investors at the beginning, SBA loans, you know, versus, you know, being in a model of having to grow X percent so that you can satisfy the shareholders and the fund and the this, you know, to, to uh, a liquidity point that is really good for the mostly founder owner. And so the, because we have consciously chosen to not take that money, it's been, uh, you know, a very different journey. And I think that's also good advice and, and something for folks to be cognizant of as, as they're starting on their own journeys. Um, I do have one more question for you. I've got a question from a listener. Uh, Claire asks, she wants to know how you make your product smell so good. The lavender scent is amazing. She says she uses it all the time. Thanks, Claire. We love you. It, it's the selection of the oil and where it comes from. In every single oil on its own has, has these, you know, very unique properties like people. And the combination synergizes the individual properties. So the blends really everyone in, you know, they each enhance each other. So it's um, alchemy, you know. Yeah, just one one last thing. I, I I like to say that we're we're a company intentioned around actions to try to achieve certain results, and and it's wonderful that Claire asked that question. We can really put a lot of effort in, and we do put a lot of effort into making products. You can put a lot of effort in trying to communicate something, yet it's very frequent, in, like in our normal conversations, that someone just doesn't understand the way you intended, and then you have to sort of take a back step. And so being in this space, or you're saying, you know, what advice do you give people who want to be a force for good or the common good is, is that it's fabulous to be, to make the money because we need to make money yet to be attentioned to how it's received. And is it received in a way that you intend? And the fact that Claire is calling up and appreciates the scent, it's very big. It's very important for us for 25 years. And so six, 26. And so it's, 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 um, it just moves it away a little bit from me individually to more external and for, and for common good. And that have that, uh, attention on that kind of result. Well, I just want to encourage, especially the female entrepreneurs, because I think, you know, for women and for families, um, women having control over their own time and money and being able to be flexible with childcare and families also being able to be flexible to take care of each other is a very important piece of this, very important piece of the why for us. So uh, I just would encourage everyone to start. Well said.
you know, for, for me, um, what I love about being an entrepreneur and certainly working with Susan and, and, and all of our uh, people here at EO is, is that we're intentioned with our own, our values and how we want to uh, engage in business. And some things we do, we do really well. The result is fabulous. And many, we fail. And the only thing that I can say in the advice is, is that at least we're going down doing things that we believe in versus failing by doing things the way other people want us to behave. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Responsibly Different. I also want to give you all a little update on our own journey to B Corp certification because I know it's been a while since we've done that. As many of you may remember, we submitted our B Impact Assessment April 30th of this year and were greeted with an automated email from B Lab that the queue for review was eight months long. So we're anticipating to start the review process in December. Though, while we're at a little bit of a standstill in our certification, we have continued to explore ways that we can do better. Coming out of our conversation with Eric Zimmerman from Trip Zero on the last episode, which you can check out to, to hear that full conversation, uh, we reached out to Native Energy in Burlington, Vermont, about funding carbon offset projects. We've calculated that our carbon footprint annually is 81 tons of carbon each year, including our staff's commutes and travel and all of those bits and pieces. So we will be getting our B Corp committee back together to review some of the projects that Native Energy sent our way uh, that we are excited to invest in. And so we're going to be selecting one of those, and I'll certainly keep you all up to date on that process and, and ultimately which project we end up choosing to help support. And they're also really cool. If you haven't checked out Native Energy in regards to carbon offsets or, or funding carbon offset projects, that what they do is really interesting. So they actually, we actually had a conversation with them uh, this week about how, and I'm sure hopefully someday we'll get them on the show as well, uh, but how a, a huge part of what they do is beyond just selling certified carbon offset credits, they're actually funding projects to get started in the carbon offset. So creating projects that in years will have certified credits, but by creating these new projects, it's having a larger impact on the planet because it's starting something new that wouldn't otherwise have the viability or opportunity to flourish. So really cool stuff there. Definitely check them out. I'll make sure to throw a link to them in the show notes for sure. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other folks just like yourself find this content. Uh, you can also head on over to Responsibly Different and sign up for our email newsletter. Starting this month, we'll be sending out a monthly newsletter with a roundup of different events we're hearing about, highlights from our content, and more. You can sign up at responsiblydifferent.com support. This month, we'll also be launching our very own Patreon page, which if you're not familiar, Patreon is a platform for content creators and their fans to support their work and keep their work going. So by setting up our very own Patreon page, which will give 
paying subscribers bonus features and exclusive access to more content and to be able to participate in our creation process, we have a lot of ideas and plans for content that we want to create with you all. And by having this Patreon page, it helps fund the work that we're doing through Responsibly Different. So we're really excited for that to and to, and to roll that out. So you will be hearing about that very, very soon. Uh, next time on Responsibly Different... Turkey Day is around the corner, and if you're vegan or a vegetarian like myself, now is about the time you start thinking about exciting new meat-free recipes to introduce to your family. Now, also like myself, if you if the thought of finding a new recipe, getting yourself to the store, cooking it, all of the pieces that go into that feels overwhelming... Well, our next guest makes finding delicious meat-free meals ready to eat easy as literal pie. That's right. Our next guest is Senior Director of Sustainability for Amy's Kitchen. Beyond Amy's, I just think this whole movement has this really unique opportunity to redefine capitalism. And for us, that's so exciting that, you know, if, if Amy's, you know, and really even B Corps weren't this sort of unique group of early leaders of something new, but if that's just the way business was done in this country, around the globe, we'd really have a more hopeful future. And I think for us being part of that and being able to be part of that community of companies and learn from them, be inspired by them, help inspire that forward to other, that, that's so, it's just a wonderful, yeah, just, I don't know, like-minded cohort of allies on a similar place in a similar way that really, it feels good. Till next time, be responsibly different. This is a production of Deergo Collective. Claire Clausen is our project manager. Jeremy Glass is our writer. The music is an original score by our very own Kevin Oates. And I, Ben Marine, am your host and editor. To learn more about Deergo Collective, visit deergocollective.com.